The following podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome, dear listener, to Echoes of Eshetan, a solo play Degenesis podcast that lets the dice rolls tell the story. Whether you're a novice to role-playing games or a seasoned pro with a full sourcebook library, you'll find the gripping narratives in this apocalyptic setting unfold before your very ears. You'll hear stories of loss and injustice, redemption and hope. A miasma of gloom drifts across the barren wastes while nightmarish beasts roam and terrorize cities and settlements. Only mankind's inexhaustible will to survive offers the faintest glimmer of hope on the horizon. The echoing shades of the bygone peoples lingers on the wind and on the lips of survivors in this hell on earth. What stories will they tell? Dust devils whipped their grainy tendrils against the cloth scarf covering the mouth of a man born in the desert. The great dunes of the black lung area of old Europe rise and fall slowly like waves at sea. Not like the desert man had any idea what one of those was. In the desert, water is measured by the drop, and the man knew exactly how many were left in the metal canteen that rattled with each spray of sand thrown against it. The scrapper, Grit, leaned into the persistent winds that were lashing his cheeks raw. He crested the top of another dune looking for a sign of his mark through the shimmering haze. He was in the right area. Huge desert boulders dotted the waste, some large enough to hollow out small shelters on the inside. He had just left a previous rock shelter several miles back at first light. Following the runes and markings of previous scrappers etched onto the surfaces of the stones. The markings he followed were still fresh from his trusted source and mentor, Nayla, back in Justician. Grit heard harrowing tales from Nayla at the Pipe in the Tech Central District. The shifting sands, unrelenting heat, and wild gendo dog packs made investigating the Black Lung perilous, but the relics hidden in rusted-over caches and abandoned structures were too lucrative to turn down. The allure of finding lost treasures to trade for meals, rations, and extra gas for winter heat was too good for any scrapper. The tool-chipped surfaces made his heart beat faster as he closed the distance and readied his pry bar from his backpack. Gittered across the sand from the clanging sounds of Grit's crowbar finding purchase on a sheet metal hinge. The metal pins screeched briefly as they were sheared off their latches and the darkness within the small cairn of rocks was flooded with bright sunlight. The metal hatch was pitted from the relentless grime and sand, but bore Nayla's rune signature of overlapping lines. Smaller runes adorned the metal surface, but many were already fading away. Only Nayla's welded slag runes remained in place. Grit had to bend over to fully enter the small enclosure. He drew a python and hammer from the tool belt underneath his cloak and staked it into the sand. A length of rope and a few fast knots held the sheared metal door taut against the rocks anchored in the sand. He felt for the round, cylindrical object in his shoulder bag, and once he had it in hand, telescoped it open with a flick of his wrist. The electric torch, or e-torch for short, illuminated further scratches on the rock walls ahead. The wind howled outside the tiny space, 
but the reprieve allowed Grit to finally remove a few layers from his face and get a better look at the desert cachet. He recognized a few universal scrapper symbols, but no signs of Nayla's markings this close to the entrance. This was no surprise to Grit, as she was no surface leech. Nayla must have traveled deeper to find the relics she showed the onlookers at the scrapper watering hole, the pipe, back in Justition. Scrapper stories were usually swapped over a dram of engine degreaser and a hot plate of fried locusts with green moss. With a crowd intimately gathered around, Nayla would say, When the world squeezes in around you, show it you have plenty of room to keep inching forward, scrappers. Grit closed his eyes and squeezed his shoulder blades tightly together as a sort of meditative stretch. After a deep breath, he opened them again and spied a small opening under the stone shelves just large enough for him to fit through. When scrappers go off in search of tech or relics, they are more often than not seeking fame and fortune, like grit. Tech is a precious resource in the game, and tech levels, as described in the Catharsis sourcebook, correspond to how much the item is worth at the Justician Forecourt Exchange or other large city bazaars. Tech 1 is the most primitive level. Think about carved bone and rock to make tools and hunting weapons. Tech level 5 items would be comparable to the technology level of the bygone peoples, or the era we live in now. Nanites and thinking machines are commonplace when discussing the transhuman age of Tech Level 5. Grit was on his hands and knees, delving ever deeper into the rock tunnel. Every few feet, he brandished his e-torch in front of him to get a better look at the umber-colored rocks above him. Nayla's symbols were still present on the surface of the stone. Her strong lines and clear language stood out from the inexperienced scratch at the entrance to the cachet. Grit licked his lips. There was a metallic taste in the air, mixed in with the fine dust stirred up from his knees and hands shuffling in the sand. It tasted like iron. Rust is a good sign for sharp-nosed scrappers. Electrical components and water don't mix well, and so to protect precious equipment and newly found artifacts, scrappers use metal cases and bins to shield their hulls from the dust and rain. Any abandoned metal boxes get worn down by the pulverizing sands and soaked by scattered showers that roll across the desert. Smelling rust this far into the surface could mean a hall is waiting to be discovered. The ceiling dropped another six inches, and Grit rewrapped his scarf tightly around his mouth as he dropped into a prone position to crawl on his elbows and knees. He burrowed his chin into the warm sand and took slow, measured breaths to make sure the scarf had his mouth well protected. He inched forward, following the direction of another one of Nayla's characters scrawled on the crust above. She'd been in a pinch before and lived to tell about it and Grit felt savvy enough to do the same. Inch by inch, Grit squeezed his way through the narrow rock shaft. He folded his arm under his chest, and he put the e-torch in his mouth to shine it freely, sighting a definite end to the shaft another 20 feet ahead. Grit flexed his abdominal muscles underneath his gear and breathed out forcefully as he scooted his way the remaining distance like an inchworm. A thin, rusty piece of metal flashing was directly beneath his flashlight's beam, its surface providing just a fraction of its original luster after remaining in damp and dusty conditions. Grit worked an arm free from the slim rock shaft pinning it to his side and ran a gloved finger along the metal flashing's edge, hoping to find a corner. After brushing away compacted sand, he managed to hook a finger underneath the panel and pulled it up and out to remove it from the dirt and stone floor. There was barely enough room to stow it behind him in the tunnel, and he strained his neck to look over the lip of the blank space. Are you looking for a D&D podcast with a dark side? 
something more like Game of Thrones and less like Monty Python, Tale of the Manticore is part dark fantasy audio drama, part solo D&D RPG. There's no plot armor here. The dice make all the important decisions. Join me as I resurrect the excitement, wonder, and emotion of old-school D&D. Made for a mature audience, Tale of the Manticore is both a fiction and a game. It's the story where chaos rolls. Grid is 20 feet above a large, square room 45 feet long. The walls are reinforced, riveted metal that buckle and bend in a few places but otherwise look solid. Four wood and metal banded containers dot the room, some lined up in makeshift tunnels to help traverse from one end of the room to the other. Obvious exits are the vent he is currently in and a metal door in the southwest corner of the room. The blood rushed to Grit's head as he took in everything from an upside-down viewpoint. He retreated back inside the access tunnel to grab 30 feet of braided rope from his belt. He knotted a weighty, iron chunk of metal at the end and fed it hand over hand through the new opening into the cavernous room. The metal anchor landed with a soft among a pile of junk at the bottom. He pulled himself over the open hole in the tunnel and let his feet dangle in front as he kept his back bent over to avoid the low ceiling. He tucked the free end of the rope underneath his butt and hammered in his second-to-last python. After he made sure it was secure, he looped the free end of the rope through the python, tied a knot in it, and descended down, feet first. Grit is a bit older as a scrapper at 37 years old, but time spent in the nasty elements of the black lung has kept him in great shape. He descends with no trouble and heads directly for the pile of loot on the plate metal flooring. From the ground, he can more clearly see the calligraphy of Nayla's rune peeking out between the plastic containers and crates spilling out from inside the shipping container. A smile crossed Grit's dry and cracked lips. There was enough here for a dozen trips to the forecourt to barter for food. And his smile widened on his tanned, worn face as he began lashing several packages in the debris pile up to a string line. Grit could go back up the rope with the supplies tied around his waist, but the scrapper has an ingenious idea to use a pulley system. Grit is a badger in the scrapper cult hierarchy. He's spent years making a lot out of a little, so his agility and crafting dice pool is fairly high. This ruined cachet may not have everything he needs, but let's see if you can have an easier time transporting goods back to the tunnel. Difficulty? Three successes. Action number? Six dice. And here's the roll. All right, awesome. Two successes and two triggers, but also a botch. Remember, these can get out of hand quickly if they stack up. Grit knocks off a door hinge on a rusty container and strips the pin so that the rounded bore of the hinge can fit the diameter of the rope. That solves his retrieval problem, but hauling so much weight when he's ready to leave could exhaust him. We shall see later. Grit drew the last stringline rope into a tight knot. Nayla's runes were almost completely exposed now, aside from various bits of sand, rubble, and useless trash covering its edges. With such a trove, he suspected Nayla may have done a bit more investigating in the room before turning around. If there was a way out besides the vent, surely Nayla would have found it and marked it for those who came behind her. Grit is also a seasoned scrapper and knows Nayla's runes fairly well. Grit will try to look for old paint and things out of place to see what else Nayla the lone wolf may have left for him. He'll use his instinct and perception dice pool, Difficulty, three successes. Action number, five dice. Grit's grime-caked eyes scanned the room and containers for further sigils and runes from Nayla, but to no avail. Nayla is clever in her writing, and the clues she left Grit, he can't quite make out. 
Grit decides to give the rest of the area a thorough once-over before taking the trip back up the rope and tunnel. The exit to the southwest was partially blocked by an empty container, but Grit is certain he can squeeze through, just like he had with the rock tunnel. He squished his shoulders and back against the western wall and sidled along the container until he felt the gap. The open door frame merged into a 15-foot hallway, slightly illuminated by amber lamps ahead in a low-ceilinged room. Grit checked for any of his clothing that may have snagged on sharp metal before taking a few steps down the hallway. In the darkness, his cleated boot heel crunched on small pieces of glass and broken plastic, shattering the silence in the dim hallway. Grit winced, and his pulse quickened. A stupid mistake like that was for rookie mice in the scrapper cult. Pattering sounds on the grungy plated floors filled Grit's ears, and he focused his attention several meters ahead. Two shaggy, four-legged silhouettes came into view from the left and right, the backing light of the room casting their features into further shadow. Grit knew the size and shapes of the figures immediately and felt his mouth go dry. What were Gindos doing underground, and how did they get here? Grit purged the confusion and questions from his mind, instead focusing on the snarling pair of dogs. The beasts inched closer, and the scrapper minimized his hand movements as he accessed the leather loops and carabiners on his overcoat. His fingers found the wooden and cloth-wrapped textures of his sawed-off shotgun, old painless, and with a small, undid the fastener. The metallic report of his carabiner was all the sound the Gendos needed to rush in, barking savagely with foam and spill gathering at the corners of their mouths. Grit can smell the fetid mange of the dogs as they close the distance. Time for our first proper battle in Echoes of Eshetan. Round, Round one. one. The Gindos charge with a ferocity that Grit wasn't ready for, even with his high initiative rolls and adding three ego points on top of it. The game offers a base passive defense score of one for all creatures and players, although different factors like whether a combatant chooses active defense, the type of armor they have, or if they're behind cover, can add more stats to the passive defense. Gendos are feral dogs, and I'll rule that they don't wait for their prey to come to them, so no active defense bonuses here. Additionally, the dogs bound over two meters of their movement to reach grit through the hallway. Moving over two meters during a turn incurs a minus two dice penalty to subsequent actions taken by the character during their turn, but staying on the move activates an additional one point to passive defense. After all, it's harder to hit a moving target. Rows of yellow, rotting teeth snap in front of Grit's face as he prepares to defend against these beasts. The first Gendo bite is a hit, dealing three points of damage, subtracted by one for Grit's fur coat armor rating, leading to two points of damage. Time for the second one. Ah, the second Gendo bite also hits, dealing five points of damage, minus one for Grit's fur coat armor rating, leading to four points of damage. Sharp canine fangs bite into Grit's leg wrappings and his flesh as he screams in pain. But now it's the scrapper's turn to bring out Old Painless, his sawed-off shotgun, which uses his agility and projectile dice pool. Grit's agility and projectile pool gives him six dice for his action numbers. He needs two successes to get through the Gendo's passive defense of one, plus another one from the dog moving two-plus meters in a turn. Whew, just enough to hit. <laughs> The sawed-off shotgun will do 10 points of flat damage. 10 points minus the 2 armor rating for Gendo's thick fur equals 8 points of damage. 
A blast fills the hallway and brightens the walls with a phosphorus glow for a split second. One Gendo is wheezing after the pellets impacted its side, but it doesn't let go with its jaws around Grit's left rib cage. The other dog glowers at Grit and prepares to strike. Round, Round two. two. Oh shit. Well, even though there are no penalties for botches on an initiative roll, I've essentially buried my face in my hands, concerned about Grit's fate. This is not a strong start for round two. Grit will not be able to actively defend since he has a shell left in his shotgun, and he should try to take down one before focusing on the other. Let's see what happens. And since both of the Gendos didn't move again on this turn to close the distance, they'll suffer no penalty on their rolls. And they both bite! Huge points of damage too, regardless of Grit's fur coat. Things are not looking good. Gendos are about the size of a mountain lion, and have large jaws to rip and tear flesh. The punctures on Grit's leg and torso are already leaking blood, and he has already exceeded his flesh wound threshold, entering into his trauma points. For every point of trauma a character or enemy loses, they also lose one dice from their pool on every roll. Situations can get out of hand quickly in the Degenesis system, it seems. For more character stats and tracking, visit echoesofeshaton.wordpress.com and you'll be able to see every dice roll and character and enemy stat behind the scenes. Now it's Grit's turn. He plugs the barrel of the shotgun into the Gendo's furry ear who's trying to gore part of his torso out, and he pulls the trigger. The multiple steel pellets and concussive force splatters gore and bone across the wall to his left as the acrid smell of gunpowder briefly lingers in the air. One Gendo flops to the floor, headless. Grit gnashes his teeth through the pain, but he bears his own canines at the last mangy Gendo staring him down. Another round of combat begins. Round three. Grit's dice pool needs to be bigger to have a shot at winning the initiative order, but it's hard to do when you've had two big bites already taken out of you. Let's see if he survives this round, because he's going to use his action to reload his double-barreled shotgun. Ah, another successful Gendo bite through Grit's fur coat armor leaves another five points of damage past his trauma threshold. Grit opens the breech of the shotgun barrel to remove the empty shells, but it's too late. The last Gendo pounces on him and bites him cleanly in the neck, severing his jugular. He grasps helplessly at the Gendo's coarse fur on its back as it swings his body from side to side in a death roll. Grit's last thoughts are of Nayla telling stories at the pipe just outside the rubble. She draws everyone's attention in with her pneumatic metal shears she found in the waist. Her smile is the last warm thing he feels as his vision fades to black and his heartbeat slows, then stops. Thanks for listening to this episode of Echoes of Eshetan. The music in this episode was provided by Tabletop Audio, original 10-minute ambient soundscapes and music for your stories and games. Support them on Patreon and try them out with Amazon's Alexa or Google Assistant to enhance your games too. You can follow me on Twitter at echoes underscore Eshetan. And be sure to check out my WordPress site, where I post more in-depth game mechanics and character outlines at echoesofeshetan.wordpress.com.